0: Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing.
1: Well, today we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter
0: 18. It would be a good idea to open your Bibles to Matthew 18. And we're going to look at the last half of that chapter.
1: We've been going through a series we've called Becoming a People of Grace. For the Bible Church, we've committed to being a grace-oriented church. In fact, we want to be known for that. We want to be known for practicing that wonderful doctrine of grace, and not only theologically, but in all that we do and how we behave. And an important part of that is what we're going to be talking about today, the grace to forgive from Matthew
0: chapter 18 so if you're there in your bibles um let's have a word of prayer
1: father we want to thank you for the opportunity to be together today and to uh warm ourselves in your presence and in the love that we have for one another that you have given to us you have given us so many things lord and that is what grace is all about it gives freely we thank you for that i think we're learning that and we want to continue, Father, to become a people of grace. So Jesus told a story a long time ago that we're going to look at today. Father, is just as relevant to us today. We pray for your grace to understand and accept what he's trying to teach us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A little over a year ago, a 13-year-old boy and an 11-year-old boy played sniper with their schoolmates in Jonesboro, Arkansas. They fired 22 shots. Five of them found their marks, four killing students, and one killing a 32 year old woman named Shannon Wright. Shannon's husband, Mitchell, was left behind to deal with the tragedy. The shooters said in court that they were sorry, that they weren't trying to kill anybody, that they were trying to shoot over their heads, but Mitchell Wright said, I don't buy that. And so the very next day, he turned to his church for support and asked them their help in getting over this because he knew there were serious consequences in how he dealt with this. One was that his wife's dying words made him promise that he would take care of Zane, their little boy. But secondly, he knew that to harbor anger and resentment and bitterness would be spiritually disastrous. He said this, if you let hate and anger build in you, that's a very strong sin. I need to be able to totally forgive. And then he was asked, how do you know that you've totally forgiven? And he said to me, forgiveness would be if when these boys get out, I can see them on the street or in Walmart and not want to. And then he doesn't finish the sentence. And he said, but I'm not at
0: that point yet. I doubt that any of us would
1: be able to forgive too easily somebody who had killed a loved one. Forgiveness is one of the hardest things I think God asks us to do. In fact, in this very same article that I've just read from, they did a little poll and they asked if you would forgive someone who did these things to you. Would you forgive someone who told lies about you? 24% of the people said they couldn't forgive that. Would you forgive someone who stole money from you? 31% of the people said they wouldn't do that. How about if someone murdered someone in your community? 59% said they couldn't forgive that sin. What if somebody raped a member of your family? 77% said they could never forgive that. Or what if someone murdered your child? 81% said
0: that they couldn't forgive that. Forgiveness has been called
1: a most unnatural act. It goes against our natural inclinations. It's much easier to be angry with someone, to hold a grudge, or to plan revenge, to strike back when we're hurt
0: or struck at. But the world
1: practices unforgiveness and ungrace. We've kind of coined that term, you remember? It defines behavior that is not in accordance with grace. We've turned, coined the term ungrace. And the world pretty much acts that way, don't they? There wouldn't be wars today, probably, if it was not for this thing of uh, unforgiveness, ungrace. Think about the situations around the world. In Rwanda, with the, the Hutus who killed the Tutsis, and, and the Tutsis are killing the Hutus. Or the Serbs who are killing the Kosovos, and the Kosovos who are... Getting revenge on the Serbs. Or how about the
0: Jews and the Arabs at one another's throats for thousands of years?
1: The thing about revenge is it never settles a score between nations or between individuals. I was reading about the Kosovo-Serbian conflict recently, and you know that that conflict today is based upon things that happened like thousands or a, a thousand over a thousand years ago. And they're still fighting it out. The score is never settled by revenge. It ties both parties, individuals or nations to a rising escalator of pain that just keeps getting more intense. Well, someone once said, if we all practice the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, then the whole world would be blind and toothless. And that's where we're heading in a world of unforgiveness. But what if God followed our sense of justice? How would he have treated you and me? What would we know about grace and forgiveness if God acted the way we act? To become a people of grace, we must learn to forgive others. The gospel of grace begins and ends with forgiveness. It begins and it ends with forgiveness. It takes grace to forgive those who have hurt us. But we, who are Christians, know that we are saved by grace. We know something about grace, and we know something about forgiveness. We who have been forgiven by grace, by grace should forgive
0: others as well. Jesus taught that
1: in Matthew 18 beginning in verse 21. was on the occasion of Peter asking him a question. Peter's always asking the things that you and I are thinking, so we can thank him someday for being so boisterous and outspoken. And he comes to Jesus in verse 21. He says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him, up to seven times? There was a controversy and a debate among the rabbis of the day about how often a person should be forgiven. The popular consensus with the rabbis was that you should forgive a person up to three times. If they do it a fourth time, forget it. So Peter was saying, "Well, how? What do you think, Lord? You're a generous man. I'm sure he's thinking seven times." And here's Jesus' answer, verse 22: "I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Some Bibles say seven times seven, Uh, the same thing. The point is, Jesus was saying an endless." amount of times. Seventy times seven, four hundred and ninety times. What's, he certainly didn't mean limited to that though, but if you forgive someone four hundred and ninety times, what's the difference to forgiving them four hundred and ninety-one times? Well, so Jesus, I imagine, saw their jaws drop at this. He probably felt like he had to explain this through a parable, one of his well-known stories. And so, in verse 23, he talks about the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. When he when he mentions the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is cluing us in to this is kingdom truth. This is the way things should be, and this is the way things will be when he administers the government and the kingdom of God. But this is the kind of kingdom truth that we should be living by now as we prepare for the kingdom then, especially in relationship to forgiveness. So he says, in, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. We're not told why he wants to do this. Is he on his deathbed or is he, is he campaigning for political favor or something? I don't know. In verse 24, when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. Now, one talent was somewhere between 58 and 80 pounds of gold. That's a lot of money. 10,000 talents is into the millions and millions and millions of dollars. For example, Herod's annual budget for the nation of Israel, King Herod's annual budget for the nation of Israel was 900 talents. So in essence, what Jesus was saying, a man owed him millions and millions and millions of dollars, that being translated is an unpayable debt.
0: Got it? But he was not able to pay. His master commanded that
1: he be sold, his wife and his children, and all that he had, and that payment be made. Not that it could be made, but what's the most precious thing we have? It's ourselves and our children, and that they be sold into servitude because they had that was the most that he could get from them. Well, in verse 26, the servant falls down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all probably a lie a promise he couldn't fulfill a king probably knew that he could not make that payment he couldn't pay him all but he pleads for mercy and patience and then it says in verse 27 the master of that servant was moved with compassion released him and forgave the debt the master of that servant was moved with compassion pity is an outflow of grace remember when we first started the study we said grace that um, reaches upward is worship, grace that reaches outward is charity, and grace that stoops. uh, I'm sorry. Love that reaches upward is worship. Love that reaches outward is charity, and love that stoops is grace. Well, here's love love is stooping. He has pity. He has compassion on this servant.
0: And he released
1: him and forgave him. You know, the word, forgive is really based on the idea of releasing somebody and giving them their freedom. This same word release here is from Leviticus, was, was used in Leviticus chapter 16 in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to speak about the scapegoat in the, in the day of the atonement when the priest would confess all the sins of the nation Israel on the scapegoat, they would then release the scapegoat into the wilderness to take those sins away from the people. So the idea of releasing means to send him away, depart, to give him his freedom. And that's what forgiveness is. And so he forgave him the debt. He released him from the debt. Well, that must have made his heart happy, I would think. Well, this servant turns around in verse 28. It says that he goes out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. A denarii was basically one day's wages. So this servant owed him... A hundred days' wages. A third of a year, perhaps, a third of your salary would be what? Ten thousand,
0: fifteen thousand. That's a lot of money, but about what we borrow for a car. Some of you. Some of us. Not me. And he laid hands on
1: him and he took him by the throat. That's ungrace, right? Picture of ungrace. Got got him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe.
0: What a surprising reversal of the attitude
1: he was just shown by the king. And so in verse 29, the servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Those words sound familiar, don't they? I wonder if at this point, this unforgiving servant, those words just bit his heart because he had just prayed them recently. And yet when this man said, I will pay you all, he could probably keep that promise, whereas this servant, unforgiving servant, couldn't have kept the promise. But verse 30, he would not. He would not. Not he could not forgive him the debt. He would not. But he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, and they were very grieved,
0: they came and told their master all that he had done.
1: And his master called out after after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? I like those words in verse 33, should you not. Some Bibles say you ought to have. You ought to have forgiven him just and have compassion on him, just as I had compassion and pity on you. The king had a sense of oughtness and morality about what he had done, a sense of what right behavior was, and he knew that this servant should have
0: forgiven the other servant. Even more so
1: because now this fellow didn't owe any debt to the king. Why was he so harsh in demanding that he be repaid? He didn't have the same debt any longer. Not only that, he had the example of a gracious and pitiful king to look to. He experienced his kindness, his benefits. Certainly, he should have learned something from that experience. But it seems not.
0: You remember, I know you may not want to remember, but you remember when President Clinton got into his fiasco
1: in the White House and then he was tried, he was impeached. But he was uh, released from uh, the impeachment. And he said at one point, when Sam Donaldson asked him if he could forgive and forget, President Clinton said, I believe any person who asks for forgiveness has to be prepared to give it. Many people think that he was insincere and rehearsed in that remark as well. But regardless, I think he recognized that there is a certain passing on of a benefit from one to another. Those who are forgiven should be prepared to give it as well. President Clinton understands that. The king understood that. This servant who had been forgiven an unpayable debt did not understand that. So verse 34 and 35 says, the master was angry and he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Let's not make too much of the torture. I don't know, it it might have been just a part of their prison experience in those days. Or perhaps it implies that this man was going to be tortured by his conscience now. Because it is true, I think, that when we we refuse to forgive other people, that we make prisoners of ourselves. And when we forgive other people, we find that the prisoner we're really setting free is not that person, but ourselves. Perhaps tortured by his conscience. Verse 35, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you, do to each of you, will do to you if each of you from his heart
0: does not forgive his brother his trespasses. The point is, is that we will be imprisoned. We will be
1: imprisoned in guilt until we learn to forgive. There are serious consequences to not forgiving those who have hurt us or harmed us so we need to learn how does grace teach us to forgive what is it about the nature of grace and about the fact that God has forgiven us that should teach us to forgive other people let me give you four ways grace teaches us to forgive the first is that grace reminds us that God has forgiven us more sin than anyone will ever commit against us let me say that again God has forgiven us more sin that we've committed against him than anyone will ever commit against us. Isn't that the point of these contrasting debts? 10,000 talents, an unpayable debt, as opposed to a 100, or what is it, 100 a 100 days wages? He had sinned so much against the king compared to the debt of the servant who had sinned against him. our limits ought to be the same as God when it comes to forgiveness. And what are God's limits? How much will God forgive me? Remember what the Bible says, he has forgiven us all our sins. God has forgiven you
0: for sins you haven't even done yet. He saw them all from
1: the cross. They were all future to him. He'll forgive us all of our sins. And how many times does that mean? Seven times, seven times 70, 490 times, more like an uncountable number of sins.
0: So the standard is the same as God's. We forgive anything, any number of times. If God has forgiven our mountain, we should forgive others for their molehills. doesn't seem fair, does it, to forgive people who sin over and over and over, who do the same thing, who continue to hurt you? But we did that with God. You remember we also said something
1: else about grace. Grace is unfair. Grace is unfair by nature, the very nature of the term, by its definition. God doesn't treat us fairly. He treats us unfairly. He forgives us when he should punish us. Grace is always unfair. And if we're going to be a people of grace and express grace towards others, we have to be unfair in our forgiveness towards them. But that's why forgiveness is called divine. You know that little statement, to err is human, but to forgive, divine? We've probably heard it so many times we haven't thought about it, but think about that. To forgive is divine. I believe that you and I as Christians are probably no closer to God and divinity than when we forgive someone who has hurt us deeply. I think we're no closer to being disciples of grace, and becoming a people of grace, than when we learn, out of pain and anguish of heart, to release somebody and forgive them for that hurt. When we can hold up a bloody and bruised hand and pronounce somebody blessed and free from our hatred and revenge, I think we are becoming like
0: Jesus Christ. Think of the worst sin you could imagine. In this
1: survey, 81% of the people said they could never forgive somebody who murders someone in your family. Let's start with that. Let's imagine that someone kills your child, your wonderful, beloved child.
0: Could you ever forgive such a person? Now, think about this. We have killed God's only child, didn't we? How much does God forgive us? He's forgiven us a lot. We should learn to forgive others.
1: Grace reminds us that God has forgiven us more sin than anyone will ever commit against us, even if someone would kill our only child. But grace also teaches us that forgiveness must be unconditional. You see, in verse 27, the king forgave freely, unconditionally. He just said, it just says that he released him and forgave him. You'll notice in verse 27, there are no conditions attached. He did not demand that the man repent, did not demand an apology or a repayment of any kind. He did not demand that the man be sorry or even come to him And ask him, although he did. He forgave him unconditionally and freely.
0: In verse 30, the opposite
1: behavior was displayed by this servant who turned around, choked the man, and said he was going to throw him into prison until he paid the debt. He was demanding a conditional. He put a condition on his relationship. He had to pay the debt. The nature of grace is that it is unconditional. It does not demand any kind of payment. For we have been saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, not by works so that no one can vote. Grace by its definition and nature is a gift, and a gift by nature and definition is unconditional. It is something that we give to others. Now what that means for us is like this king, we don't make a demand on someone. We don't even ask that they come to us first. We don't ask that they be sorry or that they show repentance or that they apologize or that they pay us back or that they even feel bad
0: or that they make restitution. We hope they do. We would like them to, but we need to be willing to freely forgive and leave the justice to God. What forgiveness does is it,
1: takes, it, it yields your own right to hold a grudge or to to get justice, exact justice, and pay the person back and leaves that to God. You remember that on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't think a soul had apologized to him when he said that. I don't think there was any of the Roman soldiers or Jewish leaders there at the foot of the cross who were feeling badly about it at the time. And yet he was able to say to them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do.
0: You had an abusive parent, an abusive parent that never apologized, has never admitted even that they've hurt you deeply. You can choose to harbor resentment and anger against that person all of your life,
1: or you can choose to forgive. But if you choose to harbor that anger and resentment, you will grow more and more bitter and more and more resentful and more and more like your parent you will become a prisoner to them you will never be released from your past you will be a prisoner of your own past
0: that's what happens with unforgiveness
1: the bible would challenge us to forgive that person that parent to forgive that person and be released from that person's grip and influence forever grace teaches us that forgiveness must be unconditional They don't need to come to you. They don't need to feel bad about it. They don't need to admit it. They don't need
0: to apologize. You find it in your heart to forgive them, and
1: you might just want to tell them that. There's a third way that grace, third thing that grace teaches us about forgiveness and that grace actually empowers us to do this very difficult, unnatural act. Grace empowers us, gives us the strength to do this very difficult thing. See in verse 30, it says that this servant would not forgive the debt of his other servant. He would not. He was not willing, some Bibles say. It was an act of the will. This servant didn't know how to appropriate the simple grace that the king had somehow found to give him the strength to do something that was hard. See, in forgiveness, we've been hurt, we've experienced pain, and it's hard to face that pain and to to admit
0: the hurt and to absorb it
1: in our bodies. That's what forgiveness does and calls us to do. It calls us to take the pain inside and make it stop there. We decide to become the side that the spear goes into and we absorb the pain and it ends here inside of us. That's hard to do. We have to admit that we've hurt, we have to face the whole thing again. We have to think about it. We have to admit that it hurts, and then we just have to be willing to take that pain and live with it. We trade pain for pardon, and we give up the right to hold a grudge. Now, that doesn't mean that we deny that it hurts. We don't deny the pain, and we're not condoning the sin that caused it. doesn't mean that at all. It means that we're making a decision to stop the cycle of pain and escalating hatred by absorbing it in ourselves
0: when jesus died on the cross he didn't deny that it hurt he agonized and he didn't condone the sin that put him there it was wrong but he asked the lord his father to forgive them hate and revenge is
1: always easier isn't it but jesus never called his disciples to do the easy thing. Discipleship is always hard. It is always difficult. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if we're going to become disciples of grace, we need to learn to forgive. And he has given us the power to do that. But the choice is ours. We can be like a servant who says he would not, he was not willing. Or we can say to the Lord, I will. I can Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No matter how hard they are, no matter how painful they are, no matter how difficult, even if I don't feel like doing it. But disciples don't live by their feelings, they live by
0: obedience and the choice of their will. It may take time, you may not feel like it, but you can do it. Someone embarrasses you at
1: work right in front of everyone else, humiliates you. You feel like crawling under a rock and hiding. You are so resentful, so angry that this person has done this to you. You never want to see that person again, and you can probably get away with not ever talking to that person again. But is that the way you want to be?
0: Can't you find the power in Jesus Christ to forgive that
1: person in your heart? I can do all things through Christ, strength who strengthens me don't let hatred conquer you you have a greater power grace gives us the power the example the precedent not only the power but the precedent to forgive others as well those who have been forgiven by grace by grace learn to forgive and have the power to forgive and the fourth thing that grace teaches us is it exposes the consequences of not forgiving at the end of the parable this king was angry and threw him into prison and said he was going to suffer there, and it tells us in verse 35, warns us in verse 35, that if each of us don't learn to forgive from the heart, we'll suffer the
0: consequences for it. There are consequences spelled out in the Bible.
1: God will hold us accountable. You see, what happens, we may have been sinned against, but the moment we are not willing to forgive that person, we become the sinner as well. We become the offender as well. We incur guilt before God. And if we remain in sin, any Christian who remains in sin can't experience the full fellowship with God, can't experience the benefits and blessings of his forgiveness because we're not willing to forgive others. We can't exercise forgiveness. We can't experience God's forgiveness
0: as well. Such a person who harbors
1: resentment inside, the Bible says, breaks fellowship with God. It would seem to me that such a person wouldn't be able to worship very sincerely on Sunday morning. Worship God for his grace, and yet we're not willing to show that grace towards others? It seems that such a person would be reluctant to witness to anybody and tell them that God will forgive all your sins when they themselves are unwilling to forgive someone their sin. Such a person can't pray the Lord's Prayer. For part of the Lord's Prayer is, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. As we forgive those who sin against us. That's an impossible prayer for someone who
0: harbors unforgiveness in their heart. The gospel begins
1: and ends with grace. And just like grace, What forgiveness does is it breaks the cycle of sin, this escalating cycle of sin, revenge, hatred, back and forth, and it breaks it by absorbing the pain and saying, it's going to stop here. I'm not going to let it go any further. And it releases people as a gift and says, you are now free. This is my gift to you. You are free from my revenge, from my hatred, from a payback. You're free. I'm releasing you. And then you will find that the one who is really released is yourself. Someone said, the ultimate way to conquer evil is to let it be smothered within a willing, living human being. When it is absorbed there like blood in a sponge or a spear in one's heart, it loses its power and goes no further. If the world could learn that lesson, wars would cease. If one nation would say, we've been wronged, we will let it stop there. We could be at peace. But the world hasn't learned what Jesus is trying to teach. You and I can. There are consequences to unforgiveness, but grace breaks the cycle of pain. This is what Mitchell Wright said, who lost his wife to those teenage snipers. And this is why he knew he had to learn to forgive. He said, my son's feelings toward those two boys will be what he gets from me. If all he hears is hate and anger, that's what he'll get. I don't
0: want him to grow up with that.
1: Do you understand that unforgiveness will be perpetuated in the relationships around you, especially in, the relation, in your children? You've been deserted, you've been abandoned, you've been divorced. Resist the feelings of resentment and hatred for they will be passed on to your children, consciously or unconsciously. Grace breaks that cycle of sin and pain. And what it does instead is it begins a cycle of grace, of good things, of blessings. Those forgiven by grace, by grace forgive. Grace begets grace. It starts a whole new cycle so that one person who benefits understands and gets an insight into what forgiveness and grace is all about and is more likely to turn around and exercise that with someone else. Maybe not, but they
0: certainly should. The book, the
1: musical, the movie Les Miserables is based on a story about a criminal named Jean Valjean. And he is in prison for some 17 years or so and finally is released Prisoners in those days were given a card that identified them as prisoners. And he they'd show the opening scenes of the movie, at least. I haven't seen the play yet. I did read the book. But the opening scenes show him wandering the streets looking for a place to stay. And he has no place to stay. No one will give him a room. He's dirty. He's crude looking. Finally, he knocks on the door of a priest's home. And a priest answers the door and invites him in, asks him what he needs food and a a place to sleep for the night and the priest gladly and warmly lovingly feeds him shows him to a nice clean soft warm bed and and there he sleeps but in the middle of the night jean valjean true to his nature gets up goes to the cupboard and takes the silverware
0: puts it in a sack and sneaks out the door in the
1: morning there's a knock on the door and the priest answers the door And there before him are two French policemen with Jean Valjean captured. But before they could say a word, the priest says, My friend, where did you go so quickly? I thought you had left. Here, you forgot the candlesticks. And he grabs two silver candlesticks, very expensive, and he puts them in his sack. And he says, Now here, you forgot these. Now you go and remember that you have promised to do something good with your life. And the rest of the movie shows how Jean Valjean goes on to become. Under a different name, a prominent citizen and successful businessman who gives money to all the causes and supports poor people in his company, his business, and and adopts a young lady and just is spending his money wisely. Why? Because his heart was so touched by an act of grace. Grace begets grace. Those who are forgiven by grace learn to forgive. There was a senior partner in a business firm. He called a financial officer to his office, who had been caught embezzling. He exposed the details to him,
0: and he said to him,
1: "I'm not going to press charges, but how do I know that I can never trust you again?" And the financial officer assured him, "Look, if you just give me a second chance, I promise I'll you'll prove I'll prove trustworthy." And as he turned to leave, The old man interrupted and said, wait a minute. He said, I want you to know something. You are the second person who has
0: fallen and been pardoned in this company. He said, I was the first. He gave him a second chance.
1: Grace gives a second chance and a third chance and 191 chances. The church was founded on a second chance, wasn't it? The disciples who fell and were forgiven and restored, Peter and the others who fled Jesus. Grace gives us the precedent and the power to forgive. The precedent in that we have Jesus as example. And here's the exhortation of the apostle Paul in Ephesians 4:20 32. He says, "And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you." There's the precedent. Even as God and Christ forgave you, as he forgave us, how did Jesus forgive us? Unconditionally, didn't demand anything from us. Completely, every sin is paid in full. Forgetfully, he forgave us. He'll never call anything back up to hold against us. There's no double jeopardy in Christ's forgiveness.
0: And continually.
1: Not just seven times seven or seven times seventy or four hundred and ninety one times, but continually, even it's stretching into the future, and that's why we can have a promise like first John one nine if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness
0: Have you been hurt? Have you been abused? Have you been abandoned? Have you been betrayed by a loved one? Have
1: you been cheated by someone you trust? Did a friend put you down? Lie about you behind your back? Slight you in public or snub you?
0: Can you face the hurt? Can you admit that there's pain? Can you then choose to forgive? And maybe go and tell that person that they're free from your anger.
1: Forgiveness really is an issue of discipleship. An issue of obedience because it's something we never feel like doing just like getting out of bed this morning but you did it because it was the right thing to do if we're going to become a people of grace disciples of jesus christ then we also will learn to forgive
0: those who have been forgiven by grace by grace forgive let's bow our heads in the word of prayer <clears throat> i think from the expressions on faces, that there are those who have relived some hurts in their lives,
1: who can think of someone who has hurt them deeply. A parent, a friend, a child, a brother, a sister, a co-worker,
0: someone that you trusted, perhaps. Maybe you were a victim of a random crime, a theft, a burglary, a rape and you're finding it difficult to
1: believe believe that you can forgive, but the Bible doesn't say you have to feel like it. The Bible only says that you need to do it. That's
0: obedience. Will you choose to forgive today? To release that person.
1: Not only that, to release yourself from that prison of your past. Free yourself to live a life under grace in the future let the past go, forgive that person, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And if you're here today feeling that you've gone way beyond the bounds of God's forgiveness, if Jesus could never teach a parable like this, if he did not promise us that he could forgive any sin, if you don't know him as savior, he can forgive all of your sins. Or if you're a Christian today living in a sin, He can forgive that too. Would you come back to him today and receive his forgiveness? Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, our example. Jesus, our power. Jesus, our teacher. And we're thankful that he's a gentle teacher because this is a truth that is hard to deal with. But we pray, Father, that you would help us to forgive those who have hurt us. May there be healing from our past. You know the pain. You've experienced every bit of it. We killed your son, Lord. And no one's yet done that to me. And yet you've forgiven me. Thank you so much. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. For more resources, or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.